0: You're listening to the Iqra Book Festival 2021, bringing you fresh and innovative content in literature and authorship. Brought to you by The Art and Radio Ramadan 365.
1: We will now be moving on to our next um, section of of the day. Um, We have um, a a really amazing interviewer and author with us um, for our next session. Our interview is Sajid Ayyub, he has worked in the corporate industry international for for some time and has been involved in personal development for many decades. He is a family man and has been involved with looking at Islamic um, spirituality and leadership, having put together with our author, Sheikh Ibrahim, an amazing programme, and with whom he is producing an online leadership programme thank you so much uh, and I will now pass on to
0: yourself thank you, thank you. well thank you very much for, for, for joining us i know that we had we interviewed you last year for the Iqra book festival mm-hmm. the first edition mm-hmm. and we covered millennium discourses and this year uh, um, we're going to talk about your many books actually you've got a number of different books mm-hmm. so um, So, you know, you are a author of over several books, you are a consultant and you specialize in human excellence for the last, I think must be more than 40 years now, Um, um, covering decades of of your work that you work with organizations, uh, mining organizations in South Africa when you started off in the 80s. And then you progressed on to working with global corporate companies, throughout the world, bringing Mm. your work uh, of transformation and combining spirituality and leadership, uh, which you and I spoke about uh, on a series that we created called Millennium Discourses for Radio Ramadan. Mm. Um, And this particular book, um, we just want to underline, the underlying book that you have here is, is about intention, attention, and the journey of becoming human. And could you tell me a little about your own journey in regards For the listeners, I mean, you're a prolific writer. We said that you've got seven books under your belt. Um, How did your writing journey start? Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I was, I had the good fortune of um, getting one of the very few jobs an anthropologist could get in 1982 in South Africa. I was, I trained as an anthropologist. I studied anthropology. And um, uh, it's from a career point of view, not a very clever thing to have done, but there was an organization in (coughs) uh, um, associated with the mining industry in South Africa called the Chamber of Mines Research Organization. And as the as the name implied, they were a research outfit and they were a very big research outfit. At the time, they were actually the biggest research um, organization, privately funded research organization in the world. I mean, they had 600 uh, researchers, but mainly in technical disciplines, you know, like rock mechanics and explosive science, the sorts of things that would be germane to deep-level minds. But um, there, was, there was a lab, believe it or not, they actually called the lab this. There was a lab in the organization called the Human Resources Laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine what we did to people there in 1982, you know, with probes. And, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, and what's also even more charming about this is that each one of these labs had a, had a charter mm. uh, and the charter of the Human Resources Laboratory was to investigate the human problem on minds. You know, I mean, imagine framing what you're trying to do in life as that. Uh, And I suppose it was entirely appropriate because, I mean, human beings on South African deep-level mines in the 80s were problematic. They were trying to burn down the industry. I mean, there was a civil war going on. And in fact, uh, the thin end of the kind of the wedge of the resistance against the apartheid state was actually the violence on mine. So I started off my career in the middle of that. I mean, as a kid, I uh, you know, looking at conflict, doing conflict research and trying to advise um, um, and management teams as to how to best deal with 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 that conflict, and that that sort of set up a journey of. I mean, one can ever one can ever if you like, I can't remember where I read this recently. But human beings are like wine. Who said? I think Jung might have said this. He said um, uh, that that we we you can always get the flavor of a person by by knowing their vintage. You know, where were they grown? And what was their year? And man, that's so true for a South African of my generation, because you know it was the conflict, social violence, disruption, you know, blood on the streets. This is kind of like part of your worldview, and it was trying to really understand this whole problem of being a human being, and uh, and uh, sort of uh, trying to explore one's own uh, inner um, depth. In the middle of a highly dysfunctional uh world conflict-ridden dysfunctional world so those two elements have always been part of the engine that has has kind of drawn me forward you know understanding what makes groups succeed or fail and it doesn't matter whether you're thinking of the group as a large organization or as a you know as a um, um, you know as a family you know what makes groups succeed or fail and how does that relate to the inner depth inner development of the human being the sort of the, the, the how these two things relate to each other has always been. That's been kind of like the engine of my own personal growth and development.
0: And at what point did you know that there was a book in this? Uh,
2: the attention, the the two sandals. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there were there were there was at least one crack at the same puzzle with the first book in this area that I wrote called Intent. Yes. And I'm, I'm busy uh, uh, brooding on a third, which looks specifically at attention. So, um, so uh, uh, I mean, unfortunately in my own experience of writing, uh, that because you're, you're dealing with the development of a set of themes as they kind of deploy, sort of unfold in your life. Mm. And as you understand them, you can't sort of snip it neatly. So, you know, uh, the, uh, the intent, you know, a lot of the content that's covered in intent is actually repeated in the yeah. two sandals, but not all. Probably about a third, and it'll probably be the same with the with the, with the, with this the book of 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 it on attention that I'm um, kind of wrestling with. All It may not be so cheeky, because um, but I'm thinking of another book in this theme, and it'll be a book on attention, and um, I'm closer now to writing it than I would have been uh six months ago because certain things have clarified in my own mind in in this journey
0: could, could you read an extract of the book itself do you have it at hand uh,
2: i actually don't uh the it'll take me a minute Did you really want me to read something i mean, well if you,
0: if you if you if you have it there if you don't then you will just well, i don't reading. have
2: it i don't have it on my desk no i beg your pardon uh, no
0: no it's okay no problem no.
2: But i could tell you what the book is about it please really
0: help. please
2: um so so it's, it's really the text is really trying to understand how we mature as beings how human beings mature um and um I there's so it picks up two themes and that's where this idea of the two sandals come out I mean, it's really a pinched idiom I mean it gets used certainly in tussle if it gets used in a number of ways, but um, I'm using it from the point of view of uh, thinking of intent as um, as uh, as uh, as one sandal and attention being another sandal, and these are almost two framings of the same problem. I mean, there's a human being in the middle of this who's busy unfolding as a being. And. Um, the, 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 the easiest way of understanding how we unfold is actually to think of how our, att- how our intention matures. Um, because if you think of the, the span of a human life, um, uh, you, know, uh, you know, clearly maturation is an incremental move from birth to death. And um, if you think of a maturation from that point of view, and say, so, well, I mean, OK, so, so, you know, is that saying much? Well, I actually think from an intent point of view, um, it, it is saying a lot because, um, uh, uh, you know, if you think about the moment of birth, at birth, you've had nothing yet. So whatever you will get, you'll still get, which means at birth, the infant is yet to get in the most unconditional sense of the word. And so, well, well can you take anything with you when you die? Um, Well, actually, you can't, so in other words, when you die, you don't get anything, you give everything unconditionally. Mm. Which means if you, but people say, when I die, I don't give anything, it all gets taken away from me. Well, that's obviously also true, but then the question was, so what's the difference between giving something and having it taken from you? You, um, Every time I see you've got... I really do love these waistcoats, these Pakistani, you know, I mean, they're, they're beautiful. <laughs> and yours is particularly good. I want your waistcoat. Now, because I'm a South African, if I was in the same room, you should be a worried man, because I'm quite likely just take it off you. <laughs> but on the other hand, I could also ask you very sweetly, Sajjad Sahab, a beautiful waistcoat. Could I please? Have you? And you could, out of the kindness of your heart, give me the waistcoat. Now, so... so You can either experience that the waistcoat was taken from you, or you can experience that the waistcoat, you gave the waistcoat. Now, the difference between those two things don't sit in the waistcoat. They sit in your intent. When it was taken from you, you didn't intend to give. Mm -hmm. In other words, the difference between giving something and having it taken from you doesn't sit in the event itself. It could be something, the most dramatic thing, it could be death itself. It sits in the intent of the person who's going through the experience. In other words, you could either experience death as the the most dramatic being taken from or death as the most extra, ex, ecstatic handing it over, you know, and, and clearly one succeeds if you can do the latter and you fail at the project of dying when you don't manage to do the latter, which which I mean all, it's a, it's a lot of which I know, but uh, all this suggests that the process of maturation is concerned with the process of the maturation of intent to give unconditionally. So when you're looking when you're looking at this problem of human growth, the first variable that is the most useful variable to start with is to look at how the, the development of the person's intent and you can delineate epochs in that and the, 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 the crudest that you can do it is um, is maybe four. So, so, you know, you have the, the intent of the child, you can call that the first intention of the infant to the middle child, the child, I'm here to get, you know. Um, uh, you know, um, until one, one night you've had enough and you've confronted the brat, you know, don't, you know, so, so then they realize, hold on, I can't just take from these people They get cross with me. I have to be nice to them. I have to give to get, which is a second way of framing intent. And that works until our adolescence, when we get really good at this, when everything is like a trade, and uh, we're kind of competing with everybody, and, and, and eventually that gets brought to failure, and then we start living like an adult, we realize that, hold on, you actually have to put in something, you know, I mean, you have to give something, um, uh, you know, you have to earn, you, you have to earn a living, you've got, to, you've got to feed the kids, so the structure of the intent is actually, I get to give, and then once we start looking um, the Grim Reaper in the eye, then because no, none of these people you've invested in will, are willing to come with you, you might discover this. It's very distressing. They'll say, no, 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 you are very kind to us, but actually, uh, bon voyage, um, you're actually here to lose everything unconditionally, including all the people you've worked for. So we go through four epochs. I'm here to get, I give to get, I get to give, I'm here to give. And and it's a very it's a very nice, almost arithmetic way of understanding how intention matures and coming out of that, you can go into subtler framing, um, which allows you to get a greater sort of diagnostic sharpness, both in terms of one's own growth and the development of, of others. So that's the one way of looking at maturation is to look at maturation through the lens of intent. The, 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 the intent is how we engage time. I mean, I mean, you know, if, if you say frame an intent, any intent. We say, well, I want to go to school. I want to have dinner. It's all you're always forward looking. So the, the, the word intent is really concerned with how we engage time. Attention is different. Attention is really concerned with how we engage place. Because attention is concerned with what we made significant. So if you and I are sitting in the same room, um, you could probably say something about who we are as people by what we find interesting in the room. You know, um, I'll be looking at, um, I don't know, what would I be looking at? Uh, uh, let's say I'll be looking at all the books, and um, um, uh, you'll be looking at all the kit, all the, you know, like the this kit. There. And just by what we give attention to in the situation, I mean, it kind of says what, who we are. You know, I mean, it's, our attention is concerned with what we make significant in the moment that we're in. Now, that means that in significant, attention is not concerned with how we engage time. Attention is concerned with how we engage space or place. Intention is concerned with how we engage time or now. Attention is concerned with how we engage space or here. The problem with the issue of attention is that it is it has a complexity to it that you can't reduce to the same simple sort of linear logic of intent. Intent is a linear problem. You're born and you die. And it's, you know, fundamentally, you're always going in one direction. So so you basically it's a single variable, uh, a single set of binary opposites and you move from the one to the other. You can't do that with attention. Attention is more complex because there's at least two variables you've got to bear in mind when you're thinking of the issue of attention. The first is that you've got to consider the difference between that which is attended to and the one who is attending. In other words, the distinction between the seer and the seen or the subject and the ob- object or in our sort of nomenclature, the inward and the outward. That's the first variable that you've got to bear in mind. But that that's not good enough because that, you know, you also have to consider how what you make significant if you're trying to understand how attention works. Because without this issue of significance, we're blind. I mean, if you... What gives anything form is is that you've, you, you, you you pull it out. You make it significant. If I, by being... A, I see you. Because I can, in a sense, pull the piece of your image a little bit forward from what's around you. So when I'm looking at Sajjad, I'm not kind of looking at the wall. In fact, you'd be offended. You'd say, "Hey, I'm here. Stop looking past me. I'm here." You know. So, so it's. I mean, the the, the, the you you attention is also concerned with what we make significant, and that is different from person to person, and that also changes as we mature. What, how, what we make significant. Um, it changes as we mature. So, so the issue of attention has these two, is actually, it's, it's a patterning of two interacting sets of binary opposites. The difference between the seer and the seen, the inward and the outward, and that which is significant and that which is insignificant. The, the, the two sandals is my first crack at trying to articulate that. I mean, it, I found it immensely instructive to, to attempt it. But I must admit, I don't think I did a very good job of it. I don't, I mean, it certainly needs another uh, examination, yeah.
0: Because the theme is very similar um, from your previous books and how it, so what's the difference between say, Millennium Discourses and Intent and the other books that you've written? Because there's this theme in leadership, Millennium Discourses, Intent, The Two Sandals, and also, you've got a book which is called Leadership. I've got. Hmm. i can show this to the audience, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. My phone. There we go. Right right, right. right. That's what those look like. Well, I mean, leadership.
2: There's I've, actually, there, I there,
0: Actually, I've got the, the the two sandals right here. I don't oh, know, good. They, right. They, there you, the go, hard yeah, topic. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it shows that it, the picture depicts depicts a man sitting. It looks like in a, um, in, a, in a, is that is that you, by the way?
2: That's me, that, yeah. That's me that, sitting in a place in Namibia, um, in the Kalahari on a pan. And it really creates the sense of who we are, this sort of, you know, if you take everything else out of the way, mm-hmm. um, who are you against the vastness that you confront as a being? Right. I mean, what you know, what, what is this experience all about? Mm. Uh, um, yeah, uh, so, so, um, so, uh, so, are you were asking about the other books? Yes. The, uh, so uh, there were t- the leadership, and there was another book that I wrote, which is the first book I wrote called um, Beyond Management. These two books are really looking at the organizational implications of all of this stuff. So, so they're very pragmatic books. They really are concerned with how do you. How do you work, if you're a leader of an enterprise, how do you work with the problem of culture? You know, you might have heard this famous um, Peter Drucker quote, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. In other words the intent that each human being carries in the organization is far more powerful for the life and the success of that organization than the intelligence that sits in the senior people in the organization particularly the clever journey they're trying to take they're trying to take the organization to you know so so it's really understanding how how to develop a collaborative spirit among a group of people and those two books is also I mean, a part of, a part, there's still very much, my first, that first book, uh, Beyond Management, is still a little bit of a, I mean, I dare say, it, it has a, a, a bit of a register of the angry young man. I mean, I, I was trying to make a point, you know, um, whereas leadership is a bit more pragmatic. And there's still, I think there's another book in there somewhere, which would be a, um, but I mean, I won't go into that now. So, so in, the, in the sort of personal development space or sort of understanding our inner life space, as you indicated, there are three books that I've written. The one is, um, is Millennium Discourses. The, the Millennium Discourses, although you're covering the same themes, the, the, the book works very differently from the other two books it's not a reasoned exploration of a set of themes that you have in Millennium Discourses. Millennium Discourses were literally discourses that were originally um, recorded um, after sessions of vicar that we had here at the Zawiya, And um, they were then uh, uh, basically uh, you know, written up and then turned into a text. What is the Zawiya? So, yeah, you know,
0: what is it? Just explain what a Zawiya is for those azabia, people that, that are listening that don't know what that means.
2: Um, it's. Yeah, um, oh, how do you? Maybe I should just show you rather than tell you. It's <laughs> easier to do that than show you the book. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, I don't know if you. Uh,
0: yeah, we can see that. Can you see that? Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: It's um. So it's uh, it's it's a place where. I mean, given that my conviction is that uh, the the most um, significant uh, thing. I, I mean, the, so so I mean, I really enjoyed the previous um, interview with uh, with Medina Whiteman and Lukman Ali, mm. and and for just one of those stories, like the Rabia story, you're, you're looking for a key that is in yourself. Now, mm. Zaria is in, is basically a place where our intention is to provide you with the possibility of doing that work. Right. Right. So we, to do so, so that it's it's, um, it's with uh, there'll be, um, you know, there's an opportunity for some instruction, for um, being given technique and then to do the work. I mean, under um, guidance. So that's what Azaria is. So, um, it's um, it's a cloister of a kind. It's. Uh, you know. Yeah, so so the, the the Millennium Discourses were discourses based on on addresses that I made here after a code. They're always spontaneous. They never I couldn't tell you before what I was gonna what I talk about. I mean that's not how those things work. Um mm. uh, and um so, so, so both the two sandals and intent, these books work differently. I mean, this is taking an idea and saying, well, let's, let's kind of do the let's do the reasoned unpacking of these things that I feel in my water mm-hmm. um, uh, and um, sort of as, as honestly and as, as reasonably as I could. That's what I tried to do with the other two books. Um, I, I don't, I, I think the two sandals go significantly further than intent, um, uh, the two sandals, uh, uh, intent doesn't have an exploration of attention at all, the two sandals does have an exploration of attention. The weakness of the exploration of attention in the two sandals is that the, 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 the and this is something that I, I would like to work on, is that I, I don't think that the the that, that the description of the of the basic grid the basic criteria the basic mapping of attention was was well articulated at all and needed a lot of clarity
0: yeah. right okay so early on i mean you you have a foreword by amanda kruger for the book she talks about modern day cults of optimism and that are favored in many of the self-help self-help mm. Philosophies. Are your ideas in this book different to those?
2: Well, I do think so. I mean, uh, you're not wanting to necessarily compete with anybody, but uh, you know, this isn't. Uh, I would feel sort of distressed if somebody saw that I was trying to do it would be like a poor knockoff of Anthony Robbins. <laughs> I suspect you'd might have to fish me out the koi pond. It would be difficult to drown myself. There's not very deep, but. Um, it's because that's not what I'm trying to, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, because this, this whole idea of the good life being the one pickled in success is just unutterably naive. The good life isn't one that's pickled in success. The good one life is one that is, is, um, is, uh, befriends catastrophic failure. Mm. Mm. I mean, what is the most catastrophic thing that can happen to you is that you're going to die, is that you could die. And why is that catastrophic? Well, did you know that, as I indicated before, none of them will come with you? N- none of it will come with you and none of them will come with you. You're, that beautiful that beautiful. I'll still get that beautiful waistcoat. <laughs> Everything you own is going to be owned by somebody else, and at that, a lot quicker than you think. (laughs) Hey, Uh, so, 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 the truth of your life isn't the grand acquisition, which is what these these people try to put forward, kind of like this, um, the secret, the kind of, you know, the truth of your life is the grand annihilation, the grand catastrophic failure. That's who you are. Who the, you know what, this naivety that it's all kind of never, 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 and pretty, pretty, and all kind of good. It's just nonsense. How can you be helpful to people if you're trying to help them to pursue the grand acquisition? How on earth is that helpful to anybody? I think the only way that you can be helpful to anybody is help them to really understand and befriend the fundamental truth of catastrophic f- failure, which is your birthright. It is your only birthright. You have none other. You will lose and you will lose unconditionally.
0: I mean, myself, I lost unconditionally. Last, it's actually a week today. A mm. week today, I lost my beloved father. And around about 6.30 p.m. this evening, um, he became the chosen the chosen one of the chosen people to go back and that catastrophic failure was i had no plan for it i had no idea it was going to happen and he was, he was he was fine on thursday he was walking he was okay and he became very very ill took him to the hospital within two days you know he had covid pneumonia on his lungs and was taken and that was the 12th of review level so those that passed in, in, this, in this blessed month mm. become shaheed.
2: Shaheed, yeah.
0: And when I did his rusul on Wednesday of this week, you know, it was, it was that. I, after his passing, they handed me his bag with his clothes mm. and his walking stick and his glasses. And I looked at them and I thought, I'm not supposed to have this. This is not mine. This is his.
2: And, I mean, you know, amazing, amazing. And how much more intimate to somebody could you get yeah. than their walking stick and their spectacles?
0: Yeah.
2: And, He's not yeah. even allowed to take that with him. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I'm using a cane these days. I think I'd have a problem with Malikum. At least let me take my cane. I mean, honestly. Yeah. You know? I mean, just nothing, nothing.
0: Nothing and uh, those things that I took back with me, and even after his ghusl, when I came and bathed him and did, prepared him for his ghusl, he had the most magnificent smile, you know, well, like
1: mm, smile you, on
0: his face. And, it were, was, and in that moment, for me, it was like, well, Who did he meet? Who was this? Well, did he meet his creator? What an
2: affirmation! What an affirmation! Subhanallah!
0: Subhanallah! And for me, I wasn't gonna come and I wasn't gonna be on today. I was not going to do this interview for me because I was in despair. And I myself, um, I'm a bereavement coach. So I help people go through the stages of bereavement. And I'm in the process of writing my own book of the seven steps to acceptance. How do you go from, from grief to acceptance? And what are those stages? And for me, it's been a roller coaster this complete week. It's been uh, every single emotion. I'll just break down. I'm ho- I'm holding it all back right now. But, um Hmm. It was just the most incredible, and to be here with everyone, and hmm. you know, we don't know when our time is up. Hmm. We don't know when we're coming and when hmm. we're departing. No, you're wrong. A, we take one breath in. Subhanallah. And, Subhanallah. And
2: in this week, Sajjadab, I had your account of your father passing. My mother-in-law passed yesterday at eleven o'clock. A no, very no, no, close no, no, no. friend of ours from the Marabitundos in the a local township. A youngster is at least fifteen years younger than me. Suddenly, dead in this week. I think on Thursday. It was amazing, and I mean, so uh, you know, I mean, surely that must, if nothing else, that must caution people against investing too much in the grand acquisition.
0: And and the way I look at it and describe it, it's like you're born one. You're born deep breath in and your deep breath out mm-hmm. we get suckered into this 5D reality, of tasting, mm-hmm. smelling and the soul mm-hmm. gets completely detached from where the end journey is mm-hmm. in, in what you describe. Mm-hmm. Now there's some questions here that people, some of the people, folks have, have asked has the author come across Ibn Ghassi? Can no you, I haven't Ibn Ghassi and there's another one here uh, can you ask Shifab if the concept in the two sandals will be covered in his leadership course
2: uh, no the first way of understanding the implication for intent is if you like navigating the problem of being inside your own skin in other words mm. how do you how do you produce an experience of contentment and security in you know um, uh, this the the second um the second issue in intent is um, uh, implication of intent is really how one engages others and th- so and, and others then basically means how one aff- how one deals with groups and and, and engages groups so so if that that in essence would be the the, the the person in organization or the human being in organization Now in the first instance, it isn't very often apparent to people that actually it is the intent to give that produces the success of enterprises, of any organization. You know, because if you just think of it in a purely capitalist sense, successful enterprises produce profits. If you just have a little bit more of a politically correct way of understanding that, say successful enterprises produce surpluses. You know, what produces a surplus? A surplus is, is really... A, we, you know, three bakers work together to bake a cake. At the end of the month, they, sell, they make one cake in the month. They sell, at the end of the month, they sell the cake and each one of them takes a slice home to feed their families and there's a slice left. The slice that's left you call a surplus. That slice demonstrates the success or failure of the enterprise. The bigger that slice is with regard to the, the, the rest of the cake, the more successful the enterprise is. Mm. You know. Well, why does that slice exist? It only exists because you know the, uh, um, the, the individual bakers g- gave more than what they took. If they took more than what they gave, you wouldn't have a surplus. In other words, surpluses are produced by people who give unconditionally in pursuit of groups objectives. This is true for any group. Success in groups is based on the intent of the person to give unconditionally in pursuit of the group's objectives. Now, now if, if you think of you know, well, what does that mean for an organization? Well, unfortunately, not everybody in an organization are equal. You know, you think of an organization as sort of like an inverted cone because there's fewer people at the top than at the bottom. So this intent to give in the first instance is expressed in how peer groups deal with each other. So if you took a horizontal slice through the organization and we're dealing with a peer group like a a team, you know, that team succeeds like any sports team succeeds. I mean, you know, like, like in in professional soccer, surely most of the work that happens on the field isn't about somebody scoring. It's about somebody who's trying to set somebody else up to score. In other words. What the person is trying to set his mate up to score is saying to his mate, I'm quite happy to make you the star. I'm not here to be the star myself. So 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 when you have this in a team, a team of people who are actually trying to set each other up to be the star, you've got a team. When you've got when everybody's trying to be the star, you no longer have a team, you've got a herd of cats. So teams, so again, this intent to give. Affects how this whole issue of collaboration in organisations, because it sits at the root of intending to set your, your your colleague up to succeed. The second place where you express and understand this issue of intent is is really concerned with with hierarchy. I mean, if, so if you took a vertical section through um, uh, through the the, the organisation, you're basically dealing with with people reporting to people, to authority. And actually, it's in that variable that most of the work that I've done in my professional career is concerned with. What makes hierarchy legitimate? Because we're really confused these days. We think that a hierarchy is legitimate if it's democratic, which is the most peculiar idea. I mean, you know, I mean, um, what actually should people in authority do to people, for people who work for them? And um, uh, that's the most profound variable that accounts for the success of an organization. So the question about the care and growth model looks at all of these issues, but specifically the implication with regard to a hierarchy. You know, um, uh, uh, so it's really the whole outward focused project. We don't spend much time looking at the the intense stuff, the sort of the, the inner work and what that means for both intention and attention
0: there's another question here um it was the ibn qasi one was a sufi teacher from what is now portugal the teacher of ibn arabi okay he wrote wrote a book called the Doffling of the two sandals Doffling of the two sandals yeah Yeah. you familiar with that one
2: no well i am i am so obviously being exposed uh, sort of to our tradition Mm -hmm. generally i am I, you know, people speak about the two, two sandals as a metaphor for the journey. I've most heard it used um, uh, in, the, with, in terms of working with hope and fear. The two sandals of hope mm-hmm. and fear. Um, so, but I've just shamelessly stolen the nomenclature because I, I think all people of Tassawuf are thieves. Um, uh, we, are, we are the world's worst plagiarists. We steal everybody's stuff. Um, uh, as long as it works. And that has to be true, because if you have a look at uh, practices of people of Tasovuf, you get anything that looks like Hinduism in South Asia to anything that looks like shamanism in the steppe and anything in between. So to say that we don't take other people's stuff would be kind of being a little bit doing violence to the truth. So so um, I've, uh, the, I, I stole the idea to and applied it to this issue of intention and attention.
0: Yeah. There's another question here from uh, Dr. Nadim Bhatti and it's, and it's this one here. One point that I couldn't help smiling at was the quote that there was a, uh, there was a question that a parent should always act in the best interests of the child. However, however, acting in the best interest of a child clearly does not mean acquiescing to whatever the child wants. It's precisely because we have got that wrong that we now live in a world populated by obese sugar addicted and discourteous brats that will have a lot of parents nodding in agreement <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah yeah i think that's right i mean it's i think it's one of the problems with our uh, our current passion to negate hierarchy and i was working with a group of people in australia recently who didn't like the word subordinate in in an organizational context. So I asked the guy, how many subordinates do you have? I mean, he, the, the, the person did have people reporting to him. He was a yeah. boss. Yeah, I don't like that word. You know, so, OK, so what mm-hmm. words uh, do you want me to use? I mean, kind of there's this uh, there's this uh, attempt to sanitize out the problem of inequality. You know? Now, unfortunately, the last time I looked, nobody's born 21 years old with a leather jacket and teeth. It would be immensely convenient if that's how Allah created the problem, but He didn't. In other words, we are stuck with the problem of hierarchy from the very first moment that we're we're alive. And in being stuck with the problem of hierarchy, we are stuck with the problem of control. And you can't try and deal with that, pro- that problem just by dismissing it, you know, sweeping it under the table, because um, there's, de- there's, coming back to this issue of maturity, there has to be a connection between the degree of control you exercise over somebody and the degree of maturity they have. So, I mean, this is not a very politically sensitive example, and please forgive me, but it's the one that's closest to mine, and it's quite possible here. Yeah. I mean, South Africans are gun owners. I mean, we have to be licensed and all of that, but South Africans are permitted to have guns. So, um, an, an interesting thought experiment, Sajad I'd like you to assume that you're a South African with a licensed guns, and you have a... Right, absolutely, and but if you're licensed, they have to be in a safe. They have to be locked away. Otherwise, you're not permitted to have them. It's part of the legal. In fact, the police come and check out whether you've got a proper safe. So, this is an exercise uh, for you to think about, Sajjad. You leave the keys to the gun safe. The keys to your gun safe are on your car keys. You leave the keys to the gun safe. On the car keys on your bedside table the three-year-old your three-year-old finds them opens the gun safe and shoots his little sister who is accountable for the shooting you you and there's no good one okay so fast forward in your imagination two decades so the three-year-old is now a 23 year old there's no children in the house. The keys to the gun safe are on the car keys on your bedside table. The 23 year old sneaks into your bedroom, opens the gun safe, and shoots now his 26 year old sister. Who's accountable for the shooting?
0: Still me because it's my No, it's not happy. you. It's not you. I'm just That's one of those just, type of people.
2: I'm, no, it's just, just it, it, it cannot be you. I mean, it's your son is accountable. Would you, would you understand no so so why is it that so can you say, it's just absolutely intuitively we recognize that the less mature a person is the less equal they are the, because the less accountable they are the more control you have to exercise over them so how on earth can you wish to expunge the problem of hierarchy from the human condition you cannot and then to come up with this twisted um nomenclature around democratizing and sort of um uh, try making every you know everything equal and, and sort of genderless and it's just it's just a, it's so barking up the wrong tree our problem is not to get rid of hierarchy our problem is to legitimize hierarchy the problem is that we are being run by people, our condition is being run by people who aren't legitimate leaders, who don't understand what the role of those in charge, should, of those in, in, in authority should be, who are not being educated. They think it's the, their job to achieve a result through people. In fact, if I, you ask people in leadership positions, even in Muslim communities, societies, by the way, I mean, it's a favorite question I ask people in Pakistan. The, what does the word leadership mean? They're going to say, well, it's to achieve a result through people.
0: I think uh, Saab, thank you so that. much. I, I think we could continue this for a very, very long time, and mm. we've got to call it a wrap here. So thank you so much. I beg
2: for, a problem. thank you
0: for for sharing Sorry, everything be. that you did. That's okay. and um, there was one other very quick question, I think, in the viewers' panel, which I can address to you at a later stage.
2: Okay. Thank you very much. Sorry for having rolled uh, so long. It's okay. Very nice being here and very nice meeting you all again. All the best, Sajjad, and, Thank and you. condolences again. Hey.
1: Thank you so much to both. I, like um, um, Sajjad, could have listened all day um, to both of you speak, Alhamdulillah. Truly inspirational. It was like coming across the mind of, of great giants there. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us.
0: For more podcasts, search for RR365 wherever you get your podcasts.